Are you looking for the best tips and tricks to run a successful dental practice? You're in the right place. Welcome to Bulletproof Dental Practice, interviewing some of today's most successful dentists with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast. Today, we have someone super special. Super. Everybody knows him as the T-Bone. The T-Bone. How'd you get that nickname, by the way, T-Bone? My wife made it for me. Your wife made it for you? Because white people like you have a hard time saying my name the real way. Uh, Tarun? probably don't even know, know, but that's not how you really say it. It's actually Tarun. 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 It's Tarun. That's that's what I was going to say. Yeah, but most white people can't say it. No, so ma- it no matter what you say, Peter, he's going to correct you. No Cor- yeah, I could have said it flawlessly. It perfectly. <laughs> no, it's not Tarun. It's Tarun. Exactly. <laughs> it is not Tarun. It's Tarun. No, no. But then you didn't do the head shake. You didn't do the head yeah. bump back and forth. Listen, you guys. It's not Tarun. Don't mess with me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> are we really recording this? this we are. Time? It's okay. Okay. So... We are, uh, we're glad to have you, buddy. You are, you, you've been a, a, a longtime friend of mine. It's been, it's been cool to share our success stories with each other and failures with each other. And Craig, Craig was, was just commenting how he was, he was grateful to connect with you and he had never met you. I couldn't believe how he never met you and you guys are boys now. And so yeah, anyway, yeah. a lot of dental I love t- going I, on. I told my wife I had a man crush on Craig. <laughs> my man crush on you is over, Peter. Just, just oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> it's okay, considering I didn't pronounce your name right, you know? That's it. So listen, I, I don't know exactly what we have on deck today, but I want to ask you guys some serious questions. So that's because you're not the host. Name. Well, it doesn't matter. I take over whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, go, go. Serious question. I lost my best friend on Friday, unexpectedly. Oh. And um, he owned four, uh, he was an orth- orthotic prosthetic guy. He made legs and knees and things for people. And uh, he owned four offices and uh, they were doing pretty well. And he passed away unexpectedly uh, after a couple of weeks in the hospital. And um, it got me thinking because I was talking to him beforehand uh, during the time in the hospital and uh, uh, talking to his wife and stuff afterwards. Um, he did a good job of planning, but not a great job of planning. And I don't think any of us really think about it to the level that we need to think about it uh, afterwards. I was just kind of figuring out what, where you guys are, because I, I feel like I'm totally unplanned here. Well, first of all, I want to say sorry about that. Um, how, yeah. how, how old was your friend? 51. Yeah, way, way too early. Um, <clears throat> You know, this is an area that a lot of us dentists get trapped in because there's a lot of predatory practices in the financial services world and um, and in the estate planning world and stuff like that. And us dentists are probably the prime victims of these uh, life insurance policies that are not term-based, but whole-based. Hey, Mona, my friend Mona. He said, she said hi. Oh, I say hi. I'll sign language to her. Nice to see you. Uh, that's going to be totally lost in the non-video listeners. But anyway, uh, I, w- I want to bring this up, and then I want to jump into this. But um, I was taking advantage of, Peter, you know this. We won't mention any names, but a very, very well-regarded practice consultant company. Don't say their name, Taran, if you don't mind, because you'll probably want to guess. Um, has a financial services arm associated with them. So you go in as a client for the practice management, and I think they're one of the largest, and they don't really make their money there. They make their money on selling these egregious whole life policies. I know 
Sammy Puri is on a like a, a vengeance on some of the Facebook pages or on on a mission to ex, to expose how predatory these the whole life are. is horrible. Yeah, they're all horrible. I mean, basically, you don't want you to get gathered. You never want to blend your insurance and your investments together, and that's exactly what whole life is. So, as as a whole, as a segment, we are oversold this crap. And uh, I don't want the doctors out there to think estate planning is buying a whole bunch of whole life policies because that's a bunch of bullshit. You don't want to do that. Um, but but jumping in, I I had an estate planning um, guy who I used. And uh, I utilized some term because I have a lot of debt. Taran was in my office uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, actually last week. So he knows what I'm talking about. But as long as you replace your debt with, with insurance policies and then you can work on figuring out how much you need um, past that, it's a good idea. Um, one of the things that I was really lucky to find is I um, met a company called Creative Planning. And creative planning is, um, I met him through Tony Robbins because Tony's on the uh, board of investments. He's a chief psychology um, investor, chief psychology strategist. And what's cool about this company is they're fee-based, which all we all know is really important, but they have everybody under one roof. So wealthy families have that um, family office where you have the lawyer, the tax planner, and the um, money manager all working for you full time. If you're a billionaire, you can afford to do that. But most people that are, don't have that type of assets can't afford to do that. So this company has it all under one roof, estate planning and accounting and, um, and uh, fiduciary services all for one fee. And the funny thing is I paid a shit ton of money for a local guy to do my documents. And they said, well, we really want to look at that stuff. And I said, well, you know, I already have it all done. They said, well, it's part of what you pay us. So I gave it to them and they redlined the shit out of it. And it was like, there was a lot of stuff that was not properly yeah. done. But um, so are you squared away now? Well, I'm squared away. But to Taran's point, if you don't revisit it, I'm sure the 51-year-old guy had done it when he's 45 years, or whatever. Yeah, 10 years ago. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so that when I did it. He's 41 and now kids are older. Things have changed. So I think you can't just bury you, know, you, you accumulate a little bit more money. You know, you accumulate a few poor properties, especially as a business owner. You know, it's little things like how you want to be buried or not buried. It's how you want to be handled in the hospital. I want to be frozen. Is that, that's, I need to put that in there. Yeah, that's, that's an egotistical option. But that's that's not, no, it's not. Walt Disney's frozen somewhere. Yeah, and, he, and he's not an egomaniac. He named <laughs> his entire amusement park in 17 square miles after his name. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, definitely not an ego man. Yeah, true. But nonetheless, my, my point of Gandhi is not frozen. Gandhi's not frozen. And neither is Mother Teresa. My, my point in bringing this up was I've gone through a lot of this planning. Uh, I've done it a long time ago when I had less than I have now. And honestly, this isn't even about how rich or poor you are. It's just about, honestly, when, when you pass, you leave a storm behind you. Mm. And, and I'm seeing that storm firsthand because in a way I'm part of it. And, uh, and I don't want to leave that storm for my, my family. And uh, so, I'm, so what I'm, have you, what have you, what have you discovered as the solution? It's just awareness. And then, and then I think it's awareness. It's uh, it's being complete. It's uh, um, you know, listen, when I did this, when I was 32 years old, 10 years ago, you know, I, I was invincible. Right. And I had hardly anything. And so I did it very much on the cheap. I did it through LegalZoom. I oh, did wow. it through a lot of those places. And I know they're no good. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I haven't revisited a lot of this stuff. 
And uh, the one place that I've been very clear about in my life, luckily, is I don't believe in whole life policies. I don't believe in a lot of those things. Um, I don't, quite frankly, even believe in term policy. That I know that's stupid, but the bank forces me to get it, so um, I need to do that. And then the other thing I've learned is uh, sometimes people let these policies lapse and uh, their health has changed dramatically and they're unable to get some of these policies reinstated. Uh, so mm. I think it's just a matter of being on top of things. Uh, it's so easy for life to get in the way and uh, to forget about some of these. That's things. good advice, man. I mean, honestly, that's something you're right. You don't want to approach because it, it, it makes you address the fact that you're a mere mortal, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, but, but literally, you know, like no one likes to talk about it, but you're right. It leaves a path of destruction if it's not prepared well. And that's the last thing you want grieving love people that love you in your life to do is have to have to sift through the sand of, oh, yeah, to, you, know, you know, to figure out what bank accounts you have. Like, like, think about it, Peter, how many bank accounts did you have 10 years ago versus today? You know, it's a totally different ball game now, right? So, I got up. I got up literally because I have a folder in my office that has all the stuff in it and says "open in case of death." Okay, that it shows all of the, you know, um, that's good. Things. See, I'm not even at that level, but it's it's quite a morbid thing. So anyway, right, so buddy, I'm going to good stuff. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry well, for your loss, and and we'll roll we'll, we'll, we'll on. Well, there's a couple things that I want to touch on before we just let that go. Um, number one is estate tax, and and that that you know the the whole idea behind estate tax is to destroy generational wealth. So here we all are working really hard so that our families can have more in the future. But if you don't have that properly taken care of, if you don't have your wealth transferred into trusts and things like that, you will have your family um, paying an ex exorbitant amount of taxes upon your death, you'll wind up in probate and stuff like that, which is what I've heard is like total hell. Like you're trying to like pull your family back together and then you have so much stuff to do in order to avoid taxation. So yeah, if you can move things into trust, your buildings, your house and things like that, that's really important. And um, you, you want to get a, a, you know, a board certified estate planner, a, a state attorney. And, so and this creative planning did this for you as well? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to make it about them, but no, I, get I you. I am, I mean, I'm not, I'm not remunerated by them in any fashion, but I freaking love these guys. So if you read Unshakable, which is Tony's number one best-selling book, um, he's all about creative because um, creative planning had like some really egregiously high minimum. And Tony said, Tony said to Peter Maluk, the CEO, if I'm going to get involved with you guys, you have to lower your minimum down to 50 grand. So uh, I'm just making up numbers. So it was like $5 million barrier to entry. And Tony says, if I'm going to get involved, it has to be 50,000. So literally what the ultra uber wealthy have, the billionaires now you can have with creative planning, which is awesome. And they also bought, um, they bought AB401K, which is Tom Zagainer, America's best 401K. So they didn't buy them, but they have a, a, a an partnership with, yeah, an agreement with them. Yeah. So cool. pretty cool stuff. But I think it's just my whole point bringing it up is it, you know, listen, as smart as I am, in many areas of my life, this is an area where I've uh, kind of made, uh, I've kind of put things to chance and I don't want to do that. Yeah, agreed. Good, right, good so lesson for all of us. What did you say? What are we going to talk about now? I want to talk about profitability because I saw your post on, um, <laughs> is that okay? Well, quite the segue from death you to know, profitability. Yeah, exactly. 
No, I'd love to talk about profitability because I want to define profitability very differently uh, moving forward. Okay. What is that? I want to know. So, so yeah. So my challenge is this. I think um, very few dentists run their practices like a business. Uh, What we were doing in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s doesn't work in 2018. In two more years, it'll be 2020. Uh, The landscape of dentistry has totally changed. Uh, The most expensive thing you can get in dentistry in the 80s and 90s was probably a crown, probably talking two, three, four hundred dollars. Today, you can't even become a new patient in most of our practices for that dollar amount. Uh, The most expensive thing you could buy back in the 80s and 90s was probably intraoral camera for 10 grand. I don't know what in the hell you can buy for your practice today for 10 grand. Uh, So there's significant changes in how we do things and the cost of maintaining a practice, uh, what I call a healthy practice, is significantly higher. So I believe that we should be shooting for profitability in the 10 to 20% ballpark. Uh, And most people, when I say that, have no earthly idea what I'm talking about. And they they all say, well, then I shouldn't be a dentist. And I'm like, you're right. If you don't understand what I'm saying, you probably shouldn't be a dentist. Uh, So to me, profitability is based on all the normal expenses that you have, plus two or three additional things. One is you pay any dentist in your practice like an associate, including yourself. And number two, you also build in an escrow dollar amount or percentage amount uh, for future improvements and renovations and technology gains and things like that. To me, after you do that, that, that's what's left over is your profitability of your business. And I also personally add in uh, an interest amount on the capital and capital money that I put into the practice. It's funny, turn. Uh, you're kind of mentioning on uh, something Craig and I talk about, you know, we have a book coming out and that's one of the topics is that do that, do that scenario. Literally, if you're pay, if you're like, let's say you're a sole proprietor dentist, right? Pay right. yourself as, as you would an associate and see how that, see how that correlates to what your take home was on your, on your W2, for instance. Right. And, and in some cases, unfortunately, you would have done. You would have been better off working for someone else as opposed to in having the right to, environment. Absolutely, run the business, and you would have had you know the, the the headaches, quote unquote, the headaches that come with with running the business. So you know that's a hard exercise to do. But you're right. It's it's the delineation between a practice and a business, and and make no bones about it. We run. We are running businesses that provide dentistry. Absolutely. Right? And, and so, so unfortunately, that conversation, I'm sure, like you just said, you've had it with people and they're like, I don't know, but it's, it's a necessary thing to do. It's, it's, it's quite, quite only the only metric amongst all the other metrics we talk about. You know, it's interesting. I think, um, and Craig's kind of quiet, but I think um, this is prevalent in our three generations uh, of practice. Because quite frankly, I break dentists into three generations. Um, generation one is... The, the dentist that's, let's call it 25 to 35, 36 years old. Um, then there's the generation that all of us are in, which is the 36, 37 year old to 55. And then I call it the 55 plus. I, I'm not so worried about the 55 plus because they've only got to make it 10 more years and they can skate through kind of. Uh, the, the young generation is the ones that are running things like businesses because the banks are forcing them to do business plans and they're having to do so many of these things to get their loans and everything. It's our generation that came in towards the tail end of when things are really dramatically changing and we're still doing things the way we did when we started, when we started practice 20 years ago. And we just can't do it. I mean, it's just not a healthy way uh, to, to develop your career. So, I, I, guess, so, I guess I'm quiet, T-Bone, because I'm thinking I just added up all the numbers you were saying. So you were saying 
you know, I think you said 10 to 20 or 15 to 20%. 10 20. to 20% is where I want to, where, okay. where I think most practices. Okay. But inclusive of a, um, an escrow account putting, you know, blank percentage, I don't know, maybe two yeah. to 5%. Two to three percent. Yeah. Somewhere two okay. to 3%. Okay. So that would normally go into profit in my world. Um, also interest on the money that you've expended. So right. 5% on the money that you give. And so there's, there's a lot. So, but what you're really thinking of could be as high as, you know, 25 or 28% net profit, you know, after everybody's paid. That's a really, really lean machine. Which, right. is, your, which is your EBITDA. Just so right. Which is your true EBITDA, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, but see, see and see, yeah, you, you know, you're right. And, and see, to me, I, I, you're right. We can, you can consider, see, the whole 2 to 3% that I escrow out, um, that's also, to me, let's say I don't do any renovations in five years. Then I can take it if right. I want it. But the truth is, is you need to be doing renovation every eight to 10 years because it's a generational change. Whether yes, that's fine. painting, you know, whether it's whatever else, yeah. you know, five to 10 years, someone that ballpark, you need to be doing significant changes to your practice. Agreed. You know, I, it's funny you say that. I, I actually have a location, my first location. I've already renovated. It's, it's been in existence 15, 16 years now. I've renovated it once, but now I've concluded that it's a perfectly, it's a beautiful office, perfectly working fine. But now I've concluded that I actually need a new building because it's hidden in an office park. It doesn't fit the brand anymore. And so, you know, but, but some people have challenged me like, what, what? it's a paid for building and you're going to like just up and yeah. move. And yes, but, because that's business. Because that is business, exactly. And, yeah. and because I see, I see a 3X upside of opening something bigger and more, more exposure and just fits that my current day brand than, than what it was in 2004. So I'm glad to hear you say that, Debone. It's you know, probably the same thing Craig experienced when he moved from his office building to his current office building. People probably told him, granted what Craig did was a little bit, you know, on a different scale, but... I mean, people probably said you were nuts, you know, and oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think people still do. Yeah, I, I still kind of think Hawk thought he was nuts a little bit, but yeah, that's okay. Well, well tell, me, you know, tell, me, tell me why, T-Bone. What were you thinking? Because I, I'm a little angry because I want to do it. <laughs> that's the damn right. That's the same thing. That, that's the exact same thing I walked in first time I said, I said, what game have I been playing? This is but bullshit. Listen, I'm smarter than you, Peter. I took my wife. <laughs> wait, wait. How do you know that? How do you know that? So I took my wife with me so that way she could see the vision of what I wanted to, what I wanted to do. And she walked in and so, she was more excited than I was. So exempt, I want to hear what you think that is. Like, so the vision, what, what, is, what you just mentioned that, what is, what is that vision that you see is the future me, or what you wanted to do? Mm -hmm. What you wanted yeah, my, to do. Quite frankly, mine's a little bit grander than what Craig's done. Yeah. Uh, and only because I have a medical doctor in my, as my wife. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to build a, a medical clinic as well, a medical office in the same, in the same area. Uh, so it's essentially what Craig is doing. Maybe, maybe not as large on the dentistry side. With correlation, T-Bone, meaning like from a primary care to a dentist, kind of the complete, you know, the oral systemic connection you're saying, like the complete integration. Yeah, but, you know, my wife's a psychiatrist, so we want to have uh, primary care, psychiatry and then i would love to have uh, access to many of the specialties so in theory a patient could come and get treated completely so basically all things under one roof as much as possible within y'all your ecosystem that, that you both yeah and our ecosystem is medical and dental absolutely right 
Right. That's, yeah. And that's really what Craig did set out to be. And, and honestly, I contend it's the future of yeah. dentistry. As dentistry gets consolidated more and more, uh, which is just something that's happening, it just is, it is going to be the future, unfortunately. And the cottage industry, as we know it, will be um, displaced. In certain environments, right? Like, yeah. obviously, it's going to be metro areas first. You know, if you're a rural practice, you're probably going to be okay. For a yeah, you'll probably be okay for a couple of three decades easily. Exactly. But, exactly. But, you know, it's interesting. I had this argument with somebody recently, and they said, no way. I'm like, you're right. It'll just be 51% of all dentistry will be done in a non-solo environment. And, and you know, it'll be more than that, but it'll you be- You think it'll go as high as 51? You know what it is right now? It's, I know that DSO has represented uh, 18%, 19% of no, all practices. No, no. It's, a, it's, on, it's, a, it's uh, 8 11. to 11%. Yeah. The large DSOs are all DSOs. No, meaning like how many, years. what percentage of dentists work in a corporate or DSO environment is 8 to 11%. And would you consider what Peter's doing or what you're doing a DSO environment? No, like typically corporate. No. Okay. Corporate owned. Okay. So to me, I, I'm saying from my end, anything that's multiple dentists. Oh, okay. Then is it's 18%. And okay. you see it going as high as 50. Yes. And the, I'm talking about in the next decade. I do too. I see it in the next five, well, five years. I do too. Yeah, maybe in Atlanta, in my market, in your market. Right. It'll be that way. But I think, and I, again, I'm defining it as any non-solo dentist. So, so, words, so how are you insulating yourself from this? If you, see well, the, if you see it coming, how are you insulating yourself? Well, I see it coming double fold for me because North Carolina has been insulated in that we don't have any uh, DSOs in our state. Right. Because our board has protected us from that. So I think, I think in the next couple of years, we're going to experience the shift in dentistry and we're also going to experience the, a, at least in North Carolina, a massive influx of uh, the Heartlands, the Pacifics, the, the Aspens, all of those companies as soon as, as soon as that floodgate opens. So do you think it's good for dentistry, Yvonne? Do you think just as a whole, do you think it's good for dentistry or bad? Well, that, that, listen, uh, it's a tough question. Hmm? It's a fair question. So I, I'll answer it. Um, I don't want to say it's good for dentistry. I think it's, I, I, I don't want to say it's good for dentistry, but I'm also going to say that our, look, I'll say it honestly this way. Our profession has created this animal uh, because we know that 62% of all graduates go on to work for a DSO out of school. And well, I don't know the exact number, but my guess would be 80% of dentists are solo dentists out there. And uh, so if those 80% of solo dentists all committed to hiring one dentist every five to 10 years, DSOs wouldn't exist. So you and just said something too that I want to go back in because it, because you echoed it in the beginning, which was a lot of dentists don't know their numbers as a business. So you said it yourself and that's why I think it's become vulnerable to this takeover. Because yes, absolutely. Are, the business acumen, unfortunately is, is not as good as the clinical acumen. And it didn't need to be in the 80s and the 90s. Right. We won by default because it was a barrier to entry. Like, like, like Craig, let's use your, your dad as an example. What did it cost him to set up a practice? Nothing. Couple, I mean, a couple of hundred, hundred thousand dollars. I would well, say had, back in the day, you needed a place to sit and a place to spit. That's all you needed. A place but to sit. Today, like Peter, you just built an office. What, is like, what does something like that cost to, to build today? Uh, that was two million. The two recent million. one. Are you, can you look at the difference there? 
I mean, it's massive differences. Massive, and yeah. so you cannot run something that today costs one million to two million to build the way you can run something that costs literally a hundred grand, you know, 20, yeah. 30 years ago. I mean, it's just, it's not. Well, it's, it's not, it's also like what happened to the, to the medical profession. I mean, 50 years ago, you had that little tote bag, the little leather bag with your stethoscope. You could work on, uh, you know, mom and dad, take a look at the family horse you know, and check out the dog and you were good to go. You were literally, you were a mobile doctor. Most doctors practice house calls and now you have CT scans and car, you know, you know, you need, you need major stuff, but the same things happen to dentistry. You know, back in the day you needed nothing. You needed a compressor and you needed a vacuum. Now to stay viable in this market, you have to consider CEREC and different scanners. And of course, Cat cam, digital impression, 3d printing, yeah. like yeah. printing. all of that. But digital workflow, are, yeah. That's not that's a crazy. DSO thing. That's pay, that's consumer behavior. The consumer changed the game. You know, when Starbucks came out and they serve you a latte for three dollars and fifty cents and they remember your name, you're gonna be pissed as hell if your dentist doesn't remember your name now. Yeah. You know, you know the, the analogy I use is it's it and it applies to me and every Indian listening is the is the motel hotel industry. Uh, when we came to this country, it was five hundred grand to buy a business. Uh, today, a motel hotel starts at $10 million. You know, you can't run a mom and pop $500,000 business the same way you have to run a $10 million motel today. And, and that's on the lower end of motels these days, right? You know, I'm not saying the lowest end, but the lower end. So yeah. it, it's, it's changing. And, and listen, let me tell you another reason why I think it's going to change, okay? And I'm a big proponent of technology, but technology is part of the, the challenge here. So I walked through Craig's office, okay? Craig has essentially the same technologies I have. He just may have a few more of each of them, okay? But our capital outlay was essentially the same for my solo practice as it was for his 18 operatory practice because I bought all that stuff when I was just me. Right. So it, it's to me, it, it's it's illogical. Uh, the people that are fighting technology, if you're if you if you're going to exit in the next eight to 10 years, no problem. You can fight technology and you'll be fine. But if you're our age and um, you're wait, 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 you say you're going to exit, you're saying I, I disagree with I think where you're going. You, you're saying you can just ignore technology if you're going to exit in eight to 10 years. <clears throat> You can, but you're going to sell your yeah. practice for half of what you could have sold. Sure, but but let, let's just assume because the person that's trying to ignore sunset, he's saying you that's can what prove. I'm saying. You I'm sorry, prove. sorry, sorry, you sorry. Go ahead. You're not going to kick ass, but you're going to be immune from getting your ass kicked completely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, just because of time. Just because of time. That's it. Okay. Yeah. So, so proceed. I, I rudely interrupted you. Proceed. So well, okay. eight to ten years. If you're going to be living eight, I'm sorry, not living. If you're going to be practicing eight to 10 years, you can ride onto the sunset and you can probably continue to do what you're doing. But if you've got more time than that, you're in for a rude awakening. I'm hearing it and seeing it from dentists. They're, they're seeing a one, 2% drop in their, in their, not in their net revenues necessarily, but in their net profit. Okay. Because their revenues are staying the same. And a lot of dentists, they measure their success on revenue. And if the revenue stays the same from year one to year two, I can promise you your net profit went down, okay? Because things cost more, team members cost more, all of these things cost more. And do that, do that, yeah, absolutely. Do that for six or seven years. And suddenly you're like, oh my God, what in the world happened? And um, it's hard. Yeah, there's... as you're talking, by the way, I, I my net revenue can stay the same. I'm sorry, my gross revenue can stay the same. And with a, with a larger multi-specialty practice, 
it's, it's even more tricky to run like a business. There's so many moving parts like, you know, clinical supplies, whether or not specialists do the work or GPs. Like one of the interesting things with what my model is, is I have a lot of specialists, a shit ton of specialists. I would argue, I don't know if the number off the top of my head, but I would say 50% of my production is specialty production, maybe yeah. even higher. Very costly, <clears throat> very, very costly. And technology is a great equalizer of that because let's face it, you know, and you know this better than Peter and I do, but when you have the technology that you teach, you don't really need to have a specialty degree for a lot of this stuff. I mean, shit, with, the, with guided surgery, Stevie Wonder could place your implants and probably do a better job than most oral surgeons. <laughs> Funny story, I met Stevie Wonder. Um, did, he place an, did he place an implant on you? No, no, but let me tell you what happened, okay? Because that would have been really cool if that happened. This is a good story. So we, got, uh, we did, went to the Billboard Music Awards, and we had VIP passes. And then somehow my wife finagled super VIP passes. So we were sitting in this little booth. I don't know what they call it, but I call it a booth uh, behind the stage. And on the left side of us was Chris Brown and his entourage. On the right side of us was Stevie Wonder and his entourage. I didn't really care about Chris Brown all that much. I wanted a picture with Stevie Wonder. So right. I went over to his people and I said, hey, can I get a picture with Stevie Wonder? And they said the flash hurts his eyes. And I looked at him like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> So they wouldn't let me take a picture with it because they said the flash hurts his eyes. Well, I mean, maybe he's, you know, I don't know. If you're not fully sighted, maybe there's still some activity yep. that you could see. I don't know. So, so you didn't get your picture? I didn't. Not with wow. Stevie Wonder. I was disappointed. Did you flash your light in his eyes to see if he twitched? No, I was, af- I was afraid I was going to get beat up or bombed or something or another. Yeah. No, I, love I was Stevie. lucky to be back there as it was. Time, it's our most important asset. And I want to thank you for using your time to listen to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Also want to encourage you to do two things right now. Take out your phone, text the word Bulletproof to the number 345345. What that's going to do is put you on our, uh, for lack of better words, a mailing list that's going to send out uh, text messaging and email just whenever we have announcements, whether it's the Bulletproof Summit that's coming up in October, uh, a book launch, um, or just giving access to some some private stuff that's inside the Bulletproof community. So I encourage you to just uh, take two seconds and whip that out and uh, text it to us. Again, text the word Bulletproof to 345-345. Secondly, please, if you're, if you're loving the podcast, go ahead and, and um, click on your phone again and and click on the review and review us in in iTunes. We really appreciate it just so we get some feedback. And again, if it's if it's a five star, awesome, bring it. But if it's one, like put that down and let us know how we do better. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Yeah. So I, Man, you, the other thing, I don't think enough people put away money for uh, for renovations, and I learned that from my dad because uh, in the franchise hotel business, uh, you're you're there's mandates that you have to update every so often, and uh, so the best way to do that was to put away money on an annual basis and not to get hit with a hundred, two hundred, three, in their case, a four or five hundred thousand uh, dollar bill to change TVs or carpet or whatever it may be. Uh, so, so they, they escrow money out.
uh, every year. And I think too, that that's smart because well, going back to the dentist thing and you're saying you do that and you extrapolated that from the hotel industry, but it commits you to the process. Yes. Right. And so money there makes you just, you're just committed to the improvement, the, the betterment of, of the environment in which your people work and which your people come, uh, your patients come rather. So I think it's just, it's, it's as much as a mental exercise as it is, as it is just the physically saving dollars. Yeah. And you know, what's very, um, it's very disheartening to me is when I talk about these conversations uh, with dentists, they, they say to me, or they get the impression that it's all about the money. And what I say, it's, it's actually not about maximum profitability. It's actually about maintaining a great working environment for the entirety of your career, which by definition doesn't maximize profitability. Because if yeah. I wanted to maximize profitability, I'd have the same practice I had 10 years ago and never update anything. That's such a good point. It's so true. Like it, you, you would have a degradation of services for the benefit of, you know, be a race to the bottom, right? You'd be like, yeah, basically. you'd be cutting well, your cotton roll. It takes you'd money be- to make money. And if you want to treat your practice, and to your point, T-Bone, that's what I, I think you were saying. If you're going to be an eight to 10 year horizon, you could just cash, you know, treat it like a cash cow and deplete the shit out of it. Yeah. And then the day you move out, you let your Brady Bunch wood paneling uh, go with the office and all that crap. But, um, you know, I, I see, you know, profitability is really important. And Peter will always laugh at me because he always asks me, how's my quarter and stuff like that going? And I don't have the red, readily available information for him, but I have a large organization. And people are tracking that. But I think no, over- no, hold on. You don't get away that easy. So just on the phone yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. This is the, the good problems that he has. And I was like, so how's your month? And he's like, pretty good. Pretty, I, I feel it's pretty good. And I was like, well, what is the number? He's like, you know, I, and he kind of hemmed and hawed. And I was like, you have no idea, do you? And he was like, nope, no idea. I was like, do you realize what a blessing that is that you don't have to focus on that? Because that is like, I can tell you today what we, you know, like the cumulative monthly number. And just for to not know that and be like, yeah, I don't know. Because it's, it's a good month though, I just know. <laughs> well, I know because I have meetings with people that are watching the numbers, but I think that, um, and I don't want to sound like it's this, like, I really, I mean, I have a little egg on my face. I should say that I should have a better handle on it because really sophisticated business people, people that would eat me for lunch or for breakfast rather, know their numbers like the back of their hand. And and in the business training that I've received, if you don't know your your numbers, you don't have a business. So I'm a little remiss on the exact um, place on that year to date, but I found out right afterwards. But I do think there's an over an over exaggeration. I really can't say I can't say much because I've discredited what I'm about to say. I've <laughs> under exaggerated my numbers, but I do believe, like from the Facebook post that I pay attention to, and that's kind of like how I feel about the dental pulse is what I see on Facebook. There's an over exaggeration with profitability and return on investment. I see a lot of dentists or wannabe dentists saying, I want to go to school, but it's 400 grand. And I don't know if I should do that. Is it a good ROI for 400 grand? But I mean, Peter and I talk about this all the time. Like what's the ROI on children? What's the ROI on getting married? What's What's the negative ROI ROI on both? Yeah. What's the ROI on vacation? What's the ROI on that fancy wood paneling you have behind? I mean, it life. It came with the house, so it's okay. Yeah. But what about the Buddha there on the far left, on your left, over your left shoulder? Yeah. But what I'm saying is that life's ultimate ROI, life's ultimate balance sheet is your fulfillment and happiness. 
So I get to make a perfect segue now because profitability, Peter and I talk about the story. Peter was feeling a little unfulfilled and he came down to my practice. I'm like, dude, I love what I do. I love going to work. He's like, I'm, I'm kind of getting burnt out. And Peter and I, Peter came down here and we traded numbers and we looked at each other's stuff, uh, you know, our, our, our P&Ls and all that. And Peter left seeing that I work really hard, but the profitability isn't as high in my practice for the growth that I produce. And the funny thing is, is I wound up feeling unfulfilled and dejected and unhappy. And so, so I think that there's, there's, a, there's an over-exaggeration with the conversation about profitability and what really matters is fulfillment. It really does. Because let's At the face, end of the day, that's all that matters. Right. Your friend, 51 years old, two, three weeks ago, he was having a conversation with his buddy about his ROI and his profit. He's all pissed off. I'm sure, I'm certain we all do. And now, you know, he, he's no longer with us. So, you know, we have a blip on the radar, 78 what 80 years, which is absolutely nothing. And yet we're spending so much time and energy talking about profit. And we don't yeah. spend so much time supporting each other as far as um, well, fulfillment. Well, doesn't like one that. lead to the other at the end of the day to a certain degree? No, no. Studies show no. it does not, T-Bone. I mean, it does. It, you know, money, money will increase your fulfillment all the way up to like 75 grand or 78 grand. And then after like 100 grand, it drops off the map. There's no increased levels of fulfillment. But yet it's a sickness and we're all, we're all afflicted with it. I mean, you know, you go to other countries and kids are playing with sticks uh, with no shoes and they're happier than our kids are. I mean, look at that. Well, let me try to justify it a little bit. How about that? Okay. Yes, please do. So, um, <clears throat> so at the end of the day, listen, um, my, dad, my dad and I had a conversation the other day and he said that ultra, his, his success, I said, dad, I said, looking back, I said, what was the key to your success that you, you've created in your life? And he said, I always lived off of X dollars a year. No matter how much made, how little I made, uh, I always lived off X dollars a year. And he said, I focused on profitability, I focused on growth and progress, but I always still lived on this dollar amount. And he said, what it created for me, uh, at some point you reach a point where you create financial flexibility, not freedom, okay? But financial flexibility, which allows him to do those things that makes him more fulfilled. And, um, in his case, his fulfillment came from building more, doing more, because that's what he liked to do. Um, but uh, I, I guess that's what I'm doing. I mean, why am I working hard? Why am I trying to expand? Why am I trying to expand my personal brand, my teaching brand, all of those things? It's not because I'm money hungry. I'm living the same exact life. I'm just trying to create financial flexibility. Right. Where I, for example, I've taken gone from two weeks to four weeks to six weeks to eight weeks to 10 weeks to 12 weeks of time off in the last five to six years. And uh, that all has come from being focused a little bit, a little bit of energy on the numbers has given me significant amount of flexibility in my personal life. Yep. But when you do your next level, if you're going to execute that plan, that multi-specialty medical dental thing, you may be trading off that, those hours. Right. And that's okay because you have to, because every good project takes energy and time, correct? Yeah. To see the, fruit, to see the results. Like, like we're building a 130-unit uh, motel hotel right now. So we're doing more work than ever, but there's, there is, a, your hope, a payoff or a payout, whether it's money or time or flexibility or personal satisfaction and seeing something go up and be done. 
Like I would ask Peter, why in the world does he want to build more than three or four offices? And he'll tell me there's a reason for it. It's because he has some drive in him. That's his fulfillment is to do that. Just like your fulfillment was to build something that people said couldn't be done or shouldn't be done. Uh, there's, there's that part of fulfillment as well. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I just think it's an important voice to, to have in dentistry right now that it's, it's okay to just do what you're doing provided that you're getting the fulfillment you want. I think there's a lot of hyper achievers that are freaking miserable. And I, I, I don't want people to look at people like us or dentists to look at people like us and say they have to do what you or Peter or I are doing. Yeah. But there's another component of fulfillment. There's what I call professional fulfillment as well. And I think I would argue that a significant portion of the dentists don't achieve a professional fulfillment. And what I, what I call that is my top five procedures versus my bottom five procedures. And I always do a poll at every speaking event I do where I put up a hygiene services, direct restoration, indirect restorations, extractions, and root canals as my top five procedures. And then I put up ortho, implant, sleep apnea, sedation, and grafting as my bottom five procedures. And there's a significant drop once you hit the middle line there. And to me, uh, that's part of professional fulfillment is, at least in my eyes, doing dentistry that I didn't learn how to do in dental school. I mean, to me, 20 years out, to only be doing the dentistry I learned in school sounds just horrible on the surface of it. And I think more and more dentists don't do complex dentistry. What, what was the statistic I heard that an average big case in most offices is $1,500, $2,000, maybe $3,000 is like a big case in an office? Yeah. And, um, and to me, that's part of fulfillment as well is is being great at your trade, advancing in your trade, even though we don't technically have a corporate ladder to climb, uh, but we have an internal corporate ladder that we should climb. And, and to me, uh, it's not acceptable to coast, uh, even on the procedures that you're doing. Well, I think one thing to, t- to, to, to just bookend that idea is that what makes people happy, studies show, is progress. Growth yeah. and progress always makes people happy. So when you're not progressing, I mean, you see all these, you know, I was, I was reading Tools of Titans last night, uh, Tim Ferriss's book, and he said how when you work hard and you vacation, it's a very different feeling than these trust fund kids that are out there like trying to find themselves on vacation. Mm-hmm. Like you'll meet a kid in Tibet that's like trying to find himself. You don't find yourself on vacation. You find yourself through your profession and through through growth and progress. Um, yeah. So. I love that. Speaking of, speaking of time off, I, 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 so I use the word vacation. I like to use the word time off uh, because they're two totally different things to me. Yeah, good uh, point. Vacation, at least I define, I, I define it as people say, oh, you take 12 weeks of vacation. I said, no, I take 12 weeks off. Right. Uh, and, and so for me, we plan uh, three times a year. So every four months, not quite every quarter, I take a week off and I actually go to the office. I just don't see patients. And what I do during that week is I'll make my rounds with the team members and I'll be there to kind of take a look at things and get, get an idea of where my practice is moving and how things are actually working out. So three times a year, I'll take a week off and hang out at the office. And how many days a week are you in the office? Uh, so, well, that's a trick. I'm, I'm, my average schedule is three days a week. Uh, if I'm, for example, like this week, I'm not uh, uh, speaking or training, so I'll be in the office four days a week. So it just depends, but hopefully uh, by the middle of March or so, I'll have another dentist joining and uh, I'll be able to cut down to two and a half days, maybe even if I'm bold enough to two days a week. 
Yeah, See, I actually just increased my time. I went from two and a half. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that. But I, you know, I, I want, I want, look, I, I believe, <clears throat> so I'm starting a new community called Dental U, Y-O-U, not Dental U as a university, uh, because I, I believe there's a great benefit of being a little bit selfish and how you design your business. And if you design your business around you yourself and your brand and your personality and your likes, by definition, if you yourself can become happy, you'll keep others around you happy because you yourself are happy. And I think too many dentists are not focused on themselves. Uh, they're focused on making everybody else happy, their patients happy, their team happy, their banker happy, their accountant happy, their wife happy, their spouse happy. And uh, what gets lost in the shuffle is what makes you happy. And then you turn into a, you turn into a crusty turd. Yeah, I would agree with that. It, you, you know, it all falls down since you're kind of the, the big cog in the wheel. If, if, if you're not happy, then, then it's a trickle down effect sometimes. It is. Right? And you make everyone else miserable. The family suffers. Yeah. So that's, I think that's a cool, that's a cool proposition you're doing. I'd like to. Yeah. And, and you is, you is very, you know, what you want is, is what you want. I'm, I'm just hoping I can provide people a framework to critically mm-hmm. think about what they're doing and then uh, to spend time planning. I don't do goals, I do outcomes. Uh, I don't focus on planning on goals. Um, I, I, w- I wanna focus on what the outcome is I'm trying to get. Uh, like, uh, you know, like, and then figure out, work backwards, re- reverse engineer from there, what it takes to achieve that outcome. Uh, because when I find that when I'm outcome-based, I really will realize whether or not it's that important to me right? versus, yep. versus being gold. We need to do a whole different podcast on, on the part two with you that just goes over like the fulfillment aspects. There's so much to unpack here. Um, and I think it's, I think it's timely. I think it's urgent right now. Um, yeah. In my opinion, uh, when you agree. Let me ask you guys this. I, I'm happy to do it. When do you think most dentists should be doing their outcome or goal planning uh, for the year? I mean, makes sense to do it. What I do, I have a little different way of doing it. I do a retrospective goal. So I do it as if it's December 31st of the following year. So I, I do this process where it's like, I, I write down all the things that I've, um, I've achieved. Actually, we did it for a whole team. So early on in the year, we fast forwarded to December 31st and everybody wrote a letter to themselves mm-hmm. and we stamped them and then we're going to send them out right before um, the end of next year. You're so touchy-feely, Craig. That's awesome. All right. I actually do my uh, uh, goal planning for the following year in August. And the reason I do it in August is uh, it gives me an opportunity to retrospectively take a look at how the year has been going uh, soon. And um, uh, and then then I can plan. Then I can spend the quarter trying to get everything in order uh, to move forward. So, but guys, I'm sorry I got on late. I uh, hopefully uh, I, uh, I told you guys some stuff that your listeners wanted for to sure. Do. And I want to do, I want to do a part two for sure. Anytime. Uh, I think we should do it in person though. It'll be fun. Okay. okay. With a cock- with a cocktail in hand. Yeah. So listen, Hey, are you guys doing your uh, mastermind <laughs> retreat? Yeah, yeah. No, we're doing, it's a bulletproof summit and it's going on in October. Awesome. So, yeah. Tell your listeners about that. What, what are they going to get from that? <clears throat> I mean, magic, pretty much magic. just dental magic. Yeah, I like that. That's it's, awesome. it's like sorcery, pretty much. Yeah. Just come and you will be. Yeah, magic. 
There is um, a lot of smoke and fire effects. So it'd be, a, it'd, be, it'd be focused on leaderships. You know, there'd be a lot of marketing. There'll be a lot of best practices stuff. There'd be a lot of um, future talk, meaning like how do we insulate ourselves? I think that's a big discussion, um, whether that's from, from a marketing perspective or industry perspective. Um, just a whole lot, man. There's going to be, it, you yeah. know, it's going to be a lot of modules and be focused on a lot of like, pretty comprehensive, honestly, T-Bone and more and more so not like belabored talks. It's going to be quick, like to the point and like a Ted talk almost. Yeah. No, that's awesome. You know, I, I think um, last thing, and I know everybody has to run. Okay. Uh, me included. I, I'll leave our listeners with this. Okay. You have a podcast. I have a podcast. Uh, we do online training, you do online training, you do live training. To me, one of the things I'm unbelievably worried about in our profession is that people aren't doing enough live training. They're, the magic, and you, you said it right, the magic of any live training isn't necessarily the talks. Mm -hmm. It's just being around people and interacting with people and For sure. energy and feeling the passion. And we don't see it enough. We don't go visit other offices. We don't do any of that stuff enough anymore. And a lot of the growth, I mean, you know, Thibaut, I've probably shared a hundred conferences with you in our career, meaning you've, you've been there and I've been there and, and the magic you would agree that happens sometimes after the course, yeah. right? The growth that you, the growth or the, or the, or the, the, the nugget or the pearl that you're, you're going to gain is, is, is sometimes after the, after the thing sitting around the pool or sitting, you know, well, learning is experiential. We all, you know, many of us took Spanish for four years in, in high school and no one can speak a word of Spanish. You live Hola. in Madrid for six months, you'll speak Spanish. So it's, it's experiential. How you learn is through experience. It's not through the normal didactic stuff. And that's what Peter and I are bringing. We, we don't, we don't like this idea that there's so many seminars that are kind of filled with fluff to sell you on some other recurring revenue thing. We just want to add massive value. And, um, that, that's the goal of, of this uh, summit is to walk away with actionable and massive value. And that's what we do. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you this. My, my takeaway from Voices of Dentistry in 2017 was I met Justin Moody. I didn't meet him before. And he and I have become friends and we actually have conversations. And my takeaway from Voices of Dentistry 2018 was I met Craig Spodak. And he and I have become friends and we've had massive conversations. And we move each other to, uh, to hopefully do greater, greater things. And to me, that would have never happened mm -hmm. in the online world. No chance. Even as much as we've seen each other on Facebook, other communities it would have never happened yep and, i completely me, agree i'll go to every meeting in the world just to meet somebody one person uh that that makes me better thank That's you powerful man I that really is same. pretty powerful yeah, i feel the same way about you t-bone i mean thank it was you like, sirs uh, yeah it was amazing not so much peter but <laughs> well you just take me for granted because you've known me so long yeah. That's yeah. Like, poor peter yeah. poor peter had to start drinking on the airplane because he sat beside me and i wouldn't stop talking. <laughs> literally he got me a, he got me a seat next to him and then just wore me out for like two hours i was like i'll have a, i'll have like seven cocktails and you got to remember that's after doing like nine hours of a continuous podcasting at the voices of dentistry conference <laughs> you, know, you were on fire man i watched you, you didn't even eat like it was just no, like, well i have i have reserve tanks yeah <laughs> <laughs> i got three reserves one on the left one on the right and one on the front. reserve right, right. tank <laughs> i got nothing in the back <laughs> all right t-bone love you buddy thanks, thanks for coming on man you yeah, guys take awesome. care see ya bye 
Thanks so much for listening to Bulletproof Dental Practice with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. Online at BulletproofDentalPractice.com. We'll catch you next time.